Well, good morning. I am going to start out this message doing something a little bit different. Uh, we have been going through a series on winning the worry war. This is the last message, and uh, to end our time together, I want to hear back from you. And so I'm going to do something that you don't often hear in church. I'm going to ask you to take out your phones, and we're going to do a poll. Go to your text messaging, if you would, and um, if you don't normally text message, now is probably not the time to learn, but um, if you do, uh, then I would like you to go to um, this screen on your, on your uh, phone, obviously your text message, and type in at the top, 22333. And as you do, I'm going to ask you a question. And so as you're preparing that, uh, here's the question that we're going to ask. Why do you worry? Why do you worry? And uh, as you answer that, let me give you the options that you're going to answer from. You'll see them up here on the screen. Why do you worry? Because worry feels like it helps. Feels like I'm kind of doing something. Or perhaps it's because I don't believe God can act on my situation. Or you might choose, I believe God can act. I just don't know if he will act. Or perhaps it's because I love that pit in the stomach feeling that worry gives me, as sadistic as that sounds. Or I don't believe God has my best interest in mind. Or the last one, worry shows that I care. Worry shows that I care. So I'm going to take out one of those options. I love the pit in my stomach thing. Let's get rid of that because I don't want you answering that one, okay? But on the back of your outline, you can see the options and where they are. And so underneath the keyword, if you will type in worry A, worry B, worry C, worry D, or worry E for the phrase that best describes, why do I worry? All right? We're going to have a screen that's going to pop up here in just a second. And as you send those in, um, we're going to find out why First Baptist has come to a place of worrying um, in our daily lives Um, C is out to the early lead of, I believe that God can act. I just don't know if he will act, which makes a lot of sense. That's the place that many of us come to that place. Um, But whatever you think it is, worry shows that I care is all the way on E, which is I know is another concern. Uh, Worry feels like it helps. It, It gives us something to do, I think is what some of you might say about that. I didn't know if I heard some Jeopardy music going on there. Do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, C is, is certainly the one that uh, looks the most, but please, if you have not finished sending those in, go ahead and send that in, and we'll leave this up um, to kind of see where it settles. Um, but that is, I think, at about 65% uh, of you had said that that's where it, it, it's a sense of, well, I believe that God can do it. I'm just not sure if he will. And so as that's still coming through, let me just kind of review a little bit of where we've been on this uh, series. If you're here for the first time, we've been studying about uh, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we went off that a little bit, looked at an Old Testament character of Elijah. But the two weeks before that, we talked about Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is saying some very interesting things. He says, there is a direct relationship between the size of your faith and the size of your worry. And he gets it very specific when he says in verse 30, O you of little faith, and we said that that's a phrase that he kind of made up, which was, you little faithers, 
That's what you're doing when you don't have faith in God or when you worry. Because the bigger your faith, then the smaller your worry will be. And I hope that you will understand that this can also be a tremendous witness to those who don't have Christ in their lives. As you handle your situations, as you handle your problems, as you handle some difficulties in your life, that you would be able to trust God to handle those. And so, again, we have up here, it looks like uh, C was the runaway winner on all this, that I believe God can act. I just don't know if he will. You know what? Jesus identifies that very issue when he says, don't you know you have a heavenly father in heaven who loves you and knows what's best for you? Right? And so maybe we just need to continue to get that. In fact, if you would, Matthew chapter 6, let me show you a, a phrase or a verse that he gives to us by how much God cares about our needs. It says in verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, the pagans, those who aren't even a part of God's family, God knows what they need. You who are part of his chosen family, you who have him as your heavenly father, think how much more he knows about you. And, and you know, we hear the testimonies of people who do live differently because of this, who live on great faith, not just sitting back and doing nothing, but realizing, God, I don't understand all of where this is going but I know I'm going to trust you. 2014, for some of you, was a very difficult year. And you had some very difficult decisions to make. Some very difficult things came your way. It could have been uh, health-wise. It could have been relationship-wise. It could have been the economics of what you were going through. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was your housing. Maybe it was even your schooling or some loans that you have in place. Look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and all this righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. It's this simple heartfelt prayer that says, God, I'm, it's not about my agenda. It's about your agenda. God, it is not about my plans, but it's about your plans for me. In fact, it, it kind of reminds me of the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And if you would go up just a few lines above that, in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, we have what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, really better name though, the Disciples' Prayer, because Jesus modeled this for his disciples, and he spoke to them, and he taught them about this. And perhaps, this is an interesting thought that came to me this last week, perhaps, the rest of the teaching that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter 6, which is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, is really just an explanation. It's an illustration. It's, it's, it's expanding his teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Because look at what he says here. In verse 11, he talks about, give us this day our daily bread. And then he goes on right after that, and he talks about fasting. And then he talks about treasures that we're not supposed to lay here on earth, but in heaven as God gives that to us. And then in verse 10, he even says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what's that saying is, it's okay to have an agenda, just make sure that it's God's agenda and not our agenda first. God, it's your agenda first and not ours. Because thy kingdom come, thy will be done, can very easily turn into my kingdom come, my will be done, can't it? And there's a very subtle shift between, God, your agenda and my agenda. Thy kingdom, my kingdom. Thy will be done, my will be done. 
And so we need to constantly ask ourselves this question. How do we know we're not praying our own agenda and our own goals and know that it's God's? Very simple answer would be, who receives the glory? Who receives the praise in what you're doing? What is the ultimate outcome that I desire? Does that bring me some sort of fame? Does that bring me some sort of pleasure? Or does it please God? Now, the heart of the matter is, is that when our hearts are aligned with Him, it does both. And that's when life gets really interesting and really fun is when we're praying God's heart back to Him. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to say, God, I want your will be done, not my agenda. And that becomes the powerful statement. That becomes the place where we have peace in our lives, where it's about His devotion, not our devotion. It's about His agenda, not our agenda, where, God, I give you everything. I give you all my concerns. Or choose the other option. You can worry about it. And as that great theologian, uh, Dr. Phil, asks, how is that working for you? Right? (laughs) How is that working for you? When you just worry, 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 worry. See, I don't think it's um, coincidental. In fact, it's very telling that Jesus Jesus models his prayer, and then he fleshes it out. And So let me kind of read to you a few verses from the Lord's Prayer that we want to focus on as we're talking and ending this series on winning the worry war. And let's read this together. How about in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 11? If you have the ESV in your hand, you can go ahead and read that. If not, read it maybe up here on the screen, but let's read that together, okay? Verses 9 uh, through 11 of chapter 6. Read with me. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, let me, let me stop you right there. Do you see what, what happens when we pray a prayer like this? And it's not just the words that Jesus gave here that we have to pray that exact prayer. In fact, I would hope that you wouldn't just pray that exact prayer. I would pray that you would pray the principles of that prayer. Because you look at verse 9, and what Jesus is setting the example of is put God in the right place. Our Father in heaven, praise be to your name. It gets our ideas, it gets our thoughts, it gets our view off of what we're doing, and it puts it upon Him, the adoration and the praise that is due to Him and magnifying His name. It puts a focus upon God. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, it's about your priorities, not my priorities. It's about your agenda first, not my agenda. Do you see that coming up later in the chapter where Jesus talks about your kingdom and God's kingdom being the first that we need to go to and and, and seek and search, not ours, but his put first, seek first his kingdom. And then in verse 11, where it says, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, I'm dependent upon you. I'm dependent upon you one day at a time. And Jesus lays out this this prayer, modeling this for his disciples. And then he he teaches on different sections of it. In fact, go on to uh, chapter 7 where you see where it says uh, about judging others, and then look at what he says in verses 7 through 11. Watch this. See how closely this follows what we've been talking about. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who uh, asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
And then he goes on to say, and again, this must have been on his heart. This must have been on his mind because look at how he says this. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, if you who are evil, we who have sinned in our lives, know how to give our kids a a bread instead of a stone when it's asked for, who would not give our our children a serpent or a snake when, when fish is asked for, if you know how to do that and you have a longing to do that in your heart, You don't think that you have a heavenly father who loves you even more than that? Look at what he goes on to say. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Not a fish or not a stone. Give us this day our daily bread. You have a Father in heaven who knows what you need even before you ask it. Now, some of you might be saying, you know, I, I, I have been asking God. I have been praying to God, uh, and yet those prayers have not been answered. What's going on there? What's happening with that, that I'm doing what I think God's telling me to do? Well, first of all, let me clarify that I'm not talking about a name it and claim it type of philosophy, okay? We're we're not here just to pull God's, you know, strings and make things happen. It's not a health and a wealth type of philosophy. We'll we'll talk about some of these reasons here in just a bit. But what I want to kind of emphasize here first is is how we go about asking for prayer, uh, in prayer. How do we seek God? I mean, do we seek him in just incredible generalities so that we don't even know if he's answered our prayers or not? I mean, think of some of the ways, and I know I'm at fault at this a lot of times. I'll, at the end of the day, I'll just kind of pray these words, oh God, thank you for a, a, a good day. And as I'm laying down on my bed, I, I pray for my stressful day tomorrow, and then a yawn kind of comes over my face, and then I kind of roll over as my head hits the pillow, and I am out. And there's hardly any specific prayer that I prayed. It's kind of this generality kind of ooze that just kind of flows out. I mean, how is God supposed to answer that kind of a prayer? Because here's the truth. You worry in specifics. You need to pray in specifics. Hey, understand that? When our worries are done specifically, we need to lift each and every one of those up. Look at this teaching out of Philippians 4, 6. We studied this in the fall time in our storm series, but let me read it to you here. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, it it isn't a passive activity. It's very active. It's not just general prayers, but it's very specific. We pray specifically, God, I'm worried about this coworker. I'm worried about this illness. I'm worried about this bill. I'm worried about uh, my job. I'm worried about uh, my boss. I'm worried about this test I'll be taking. We worry in specifics. We need to pray in specifics as well. Howard Hendricks tells a story of how um, he was having um, dinner one night with a friend of his, and a friend came over to the house, and he was there with his four-year-old son. And um, his four-year-old son was at the table, and so Howard decides to have his son pray. 
And so his son bows his head and he prays and he says, Dear Jesus, bless this food and please protect the backyard fence. Amen. And the friend of Howard Hendricks kind of looked up and kind of thought, oh, isn't that kind of cute? Isn't that kind of funny? Kids say the darndest, you know, things, protect the backyard fence. And Howard looked at him and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Behind that backyard fence is the meanest, roughest, biggest dog in the neighborhood. And that's why every day my four-year-old son prays specifically, God, protect the backyard fence. (laughs) You get the point? Right? When you have some sort of worries, when you have some sort of concerns, we need to pray those out specifically. No problem is too big. No problem is too small for God's concern. No worry is too big. No worry is too small for God's concern. No situation is too big. No situation is too small for God's concern. Now, let me tell you what that models. Because... um, Some of us might be thinking, well, why do we have to ask specifically when God already knows everything? It's a good question. And for those of you who may be a little farther in your faith, maybe you've forgotten how at the beginning of your faith, or maybe some of you are here today, and you're just entering into this faith or imagining, okay, how does God deal with this and these other things? And you're just kind of new asking this kind of question. Why do I have to pray specifically when God already knows everything about my life? Fair question. So let me answer it in this way. Um, I believe one of the biggest causes for worry that we have in our lives is a lack of intimacy with God. So follow me on this. The intimacy that is gained by us telling God our specific prayer requests is what draws us closer to Him and allows us to have less focus on the worries that we have. As we pray up each of those concerns to Him, that doesn't just chase us away from the worries. It draws us closer to God who can take care of those worries. Remember that answer I think that came up the most here? I believe God can do it. I just don't know that He will. What we haven't come to a place of realizing then is that God has this bigger plan for us. He's got this bigger agenda for us. He can see past, present, and future. He puts it together. And when we draw closer to that intimacy with Him, it chases those worries away. See, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes who? Changes us. It changes. When we pray, we are changed. So you say, okay, take me off hold. Answer the question that we brought at the beginning of the message. Why doesn't God answer specific prayers the way that I've been praying? I, I feel like I've been praying them faithfully. I pray that I've, or I feel like I've been praying them specifically. Why doesn't God answer those prayers? Ultimately, I don't know for sure, but let me teach you a principle that I've learned many years ago. And let me share it this way. Um, Have you ever been to uh, a movie theater and you uh, came late, kind of like some of you come to church late, but we won't talk about that right now, okay? We'll let that go. Um, uh, And you came late, and so you had to sit down on the front row of the uh, movie theater. And you know that that's the worst place to sit, right? I mean, because if you are right here, if this is a screen and this is your seat right underneath there, you can hardly see a thing when you're sitting underneath it just like this, right? But somehow you get stuck right down there because you came late. And all you really see 
is this quadrant right here. You can see out of the corner of your eyes other things, but you can't see it very clearly, and things are happening and going on, but nothing like if you were sitting way in the back or if you're sitting here at church upstairs in the balcony or something like that, and you can just see it all happening in front of you. I think the same sort of thing happens when we pray and we are just looking specifically at a situation or a problem right in front of our face. We just see one part of what is going on. And yet God is seated much further back. He's seated at a much higher elevation. And he can see everything that is taking place on that screen. We can't see it all. But God does. God has a bigger perspective on our lives. It's kind of like when I shared a few weeks ago about Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, who said, if, I, if God would have answered my prayers for a husband the way that I wanted him to, I'd have been married to the wrong man several times over. Right? Several times over. Some of the prayers that you pray are prayers that are prayed from this position right here, and all you can see is this area. You can't see what's going on on the sides, or at least you can't see it very well. And God said, I don't want to answer it in that way because I see the bigger picture. And so we need to rely upon God's timing. We need to rely upon the fact that God knows what's best and when it's best. Because if we haven't come to the place already, I hope we come close in figuring this out, that God's timing is not always our timing, Right? Right? We've had this saying around here for years at First Baptist. It seems like God is rarely in a hurry, but he's never what? He's never late. He's never late. We are the ones in a hurry. God's rarely in a hurry. He's just never late. And so to look back at chapter 6, verse 11, where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. There's an interesting object lesson that I think we need to kind of bring into focus when we talk about daily bread. Because in the Old Testament, there was a principle that God taught to the Israelites. Um, When they were wandering in the desert, God would send daily bread down to them from heaven. Anybody remember what the name of that was? What was it called? Manna. Manna. You know what the word means is translated? You know what that word manna means? It means, what's that? I mean, that's literally what it means. Like, like what the? You know, what, 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 what is that? What is that? Well, it was, it was God's bread from heaven that would fall from the sky, and the people would gather it, but it would spoil after how long? Just a day. After a day, it would spoil. Now, did it have to spoil after a day? It really didn't have to. And I'll tell you why. Because on the day before the Sabbath day, the day that the bread lasted for two days because God said, I don't want you to work on the Sabbath. I don't want you to go out and gather on the Sabbath. So I'll allow it to be fresh and not spoil until two days later. And so what God is doing here is he's giving them a visual. He's giving them this, this object lesson of being dependent upon him, a daily dependence upon him, a literal daily bread God is giving to them. Listen. This is so far from where our culture is in 2015. I mean, the United States is one of the most, if not the most, affluent country in the world. 
Um, and do you know what the biggest cause of worry and anxiety and relationship issues, and, and many people will quote the number one cause of divorce is? You know what it is? Money. It is. It's money, and I'll be a little more specific. Think about your credit cards and how you use them. Your credit cards that we have, when you pray things up to God, you don't even give Him a chance to answer before you go out many times and get that whatever you wanted and allowing Him to provide it for you in perhaps some other way. I mean, think about this. We've just gone through the series on the worry war. I'm convinced that there is so much that relates to finances leading up to why we worry. In the section... Um, Matthew 6, 25 through, 30, um, through 34, look at what is verse 24 in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24 talks about you can't serve two masters. Either hate the one, love the other. Who are you going to serve, God or money? And then he launches into the section about worry and anxiety. When you see the same teachings taught about worry and anxiety in the book of Luke, Jesus sets it up with a parable about money. And so, so much of what we deal with, so many of the issues we deal with, I think, stem from how we handle our finances. So much so that the next series that we're going to do is a series on how we handle our finances, how God views us, how God has blessed us here in America, and yet we don't even realize it. And so we run ourselves into incredible, incredible problems. I mean, have you ever thought that if we weren't so impulsive God might supply that item or that prayer if it's needed, but we don't give God a chance. In fact, let me, let me just demonstrate this for you. You know that um, flyer that you have in your bulletin that talks about the Haiti medical and work mission trip? You realize that you are the answer to their prayers because you have access to some of these items that they do not even sniff at, but you can go to the store and buy them just like that. I got more donations here in the front row uh, this morning. People are just coming up and handing them. We are bringing those to the people of Haiti because they have been praying for those items. You are an answer to that prayer because of the affluence and the finances and the culture that we live in to be able to do that for them. Daily dependence upon God is what he desires, and the affluence that we are in here in America has totally gone awry to daily depending upon him. And tell you what the next step is that we're to leave out, that gets left out when we don't rely upon him for our needs. It's also we don't rely upon him for his voice and how he speaks to us and being able to hear how he speaks to us. In fact, let me share an illustration with you about this. Many of you know uh, Beth Moore. She uh, is an outstanding biblical teacher. Uh, actually, we have a couple of women's groups who are going through the Beth Moore materials right now, one on Tuesday morning, one on Wednesday night. If you're not in a group, I would highly suggest, if you're a female, to get into one of those two groups. Um, but let me tell you an uh, illustration that she uses, and I'll just use this as a demonstration of, of hearing God's voice and maybe not hearing it well enough. She writes this. She says, um, I was waiting to board uh, an airplane in the Knoxville, uh, Tennessee airport, and I had my Bible open on my lap, was very intent upon what I was doing in reading my word. I had a marvelous morning with the Lord, and I say this because I want to tell you it's a scary thing to have the Spirit of God really working in you. You could end up some, doing some things that you never thought you would have done otherwise. Life in the Spirit can be dangerous for thousands of reasons, not the least of which is your ego. 
She said, at the airport, she saw a man um, from which she, she, she could not stop staring at. In fact, she said, I tried to keep from staring at him, but it was such a strange sight. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones, dressed in clothes that obviously fit him when he was 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers. His shoulders looked like the coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands like tangled masses of veins and bones. The strangest part of him was though his hair and his nails. Stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down his back. And his fingernails were long, clean, but strangely out of place for an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could, discomfort burning my face. As I tried to imagine what his story might have been, I found myself wondering if I had just seen a Howard Hughes sighting. Then I remembered Howard Hughes was dead. So, was this man in the airport an imposter? Was there a camera on us? Was there someone setting us up? There I sat, trying to concentrate on the word, but I kept being concerned about this thin slice of humanity served up in a wheelchair only a few seats away from me. All the while, my heart was growing more and more overwhelmed with a feeling for him. Let's admit it. Curiosity is a heap more comfortable than true concern. And suddenly, I was awash with aching emotion for this bizarre-looking old man. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall, though. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen, and it may be a little embarrassing. I immediately began to risk because uh, to resist because I thought um, I could feel God working in my spirit, and I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh no, God! Oh please, no! And I looked up to the ceiling as if I could stare straight through the ceiling into heaven. I said, "Don't make me witness to this man." Not here, not right now. Please, I'll do anything else, but put me on the same plane. Let me talk to him then, but don't let me witness to him right now. There I sat in the blue vinyl chair begging his highness, please don't make me witness to this man. Not now. I'll do it on the plane when I heard this voice. And it said, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear. My heart leapt into my throat, and I began to spin like a top. Do I witness to this man, or do I brush his hair? No brainer. I look back up the sky. God, as long as I breathe, I will witness to this man right here and right now. God, let me witness to this man. Let me witness, witness, witness. But again... As clearly as I heard the audible word, God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. That's not what I said, Beth. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to go brush his hair. I looked up at God and I quipped, I don't have a hairbrush. (laughs) It's in my suitcase on the plane. How am I supposed to brush his hair without a hairbrush? God was so insistent that I almost involuntarily began to walk towards him as his thoughts came to me from God's word. I will thoroughly furnish you to all good works out of 2 Timothy 3.17. I stumbled over his wheelchair thinking that I almost needed one myself now as I knelt down in front of the man and asked him as demurely as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? 
he looked back at me and said, What'd you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10, Little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk louder than that. (laughs) At this point, I took a deep breath and I blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than Mr. Longlocks, red-faced and forehead breaking out in sweat. I watched him look up at me with absolute shock on his face and say, yeah, if you really want to. Are you kidding? She thought, of course I don't want to. (laughs) But God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about that moment. He pressed on my heart until I could utter the words, Yes, sir, I would be pleased. But I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded. And Beth writes about how he began to brush through his long hair, starting down at the bottom, as she often did with her daughters, working up to the top until she combed it all the way through, looking good. And in the midst of doing that, feeling an incredible love for this man that she had no idea where it came from other than it being from the Spirit of God. She said the emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God's. His hair was, as, was finely as soft and smooth as a baby's. I slipped the brush back into the bag and I went around the chair to face him. I got back down on my knees, put my hands on his knee, and I said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, yes, yes, I do. Well, that figures, I thought, said Beth. <laughs> he explained, I've known him since I, married, since I was married to my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, you see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open heart surgery, and she's been too ill to come and see me. And I was sitting here just thinking to myself, what a mess I must be when my bride sees me. Beth writes, only God knows how often he allows us to be a part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. This, on the other hand, was one of those rare encounters when I knew God had intervened in details only he could have known. It was a God moment that I will never forget. Our time came to board, and we weren't on the same airplane. And so a stewardess walked him onto a different airplane, and as Beth waited to um, board her plane... She said, I was gathering my things, and the airline stewardess returned from the corridor with now tears streaming down her face. She said, that old man sitting on the plane, sobbing. Why'd you do that? What made you do that? She said, do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing sometimes. (laughs) She said, I learned something about God that day. He knows if you're exhausted. He knows if you're hungry. He knows if you're serving the wrong place or it's time to move on or you feel too responsible to budge. He knows if you're hurting. He knows if you're feeling rejected. He knows if you're sick or drowning under a wave of temptation. He knows if you just need your hair brushed. He sees you as an individual. Tell him your needs. Tell him your worries. He is a heavenly father who loves to hear.
She said, I got on my own flight, sobs choking my throat, wondering how many opportunities just like that one I had missed along the way, all because I didn't want people to think I was strange. You see, God didn't send me to that old man. He sent that old man to me. You know, that's a part of a daily dependence that I hope you understand that God still speaks and God still nudges. And what this phrase, daily bread, is teaching us is that we need to have a daily dependence upon Him for everything, to hear His voice, to hear His leadership, to hear His guidance, to hear what we need to eat, to hear what we need to drink, to hear all taken care of. Our dependence is taken care of. That dependence daily is for us because without it, we begin to be dependent upon ourselves and that is when worry comes in. When we take this dependence upon ourselves and think we're the one who has to take care of the issue, that's when the worry came, comes in. And so let me go back to the question that we asked right at the beginning of the message. Why do we worry? Especially when Jesus says, give it to me. I mean, this last week I had a few people come and say, you know those worries that we dropped at the front of the church or up at the crosses? I've already grabbed it back. And if you find yourself there already, two weeks from dropping that off, you need to come back to a place of saying, Jesus, this is not about me. It is about you. In fact, that daily bread Jesus talks about in declaring himself that. Look at this verse real quick here on John chapter 6, 35, where Jesus says this. He says to the disciples, you know what, guys? I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, obviously, that's not a physical hunger and a physical thirst. That's a spiritual hunger. That's a spiritual thirst. But Jesus is still saying, you have a heavenly Father in heaven who cares about your physical hunger, your physical thirst, as well as your spiritual hunger and your spiritual thirst. Come to me. Come to me. Now, I know it's one thing to believe and say, you know, yeah, I believe that God knows about da 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 And I, I believe God says this and yes, yes, yes. It's another thing, though, to follow through with it. Interesting, the biggest reason that we worry is because we know God can do it. We just don't know if he will. And so what I want to encourage you on as we end this series on winning the worry war is knowing that, yes, you have an incredible father who loves you and doesn't just know how to help you. He knows what is best for you. Amen? And knowing what is best for you, he knows the best timing what is best for you. Amen? Amen. And when we trust in that and walk in that, that his spirit is on us. And we walk in that way. His spirit leads us. That, First Baptist, is so much what I want. That you will not get your focus upon the things. You will get your focus upon the one who has the things in control. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Come to me first. Let's go to him right now. Let's pray. God, we ask for forgiveness when we have focused on things other than you. We ask for forgiveness for allowing those things to draw us away from an intimate, deep relationship with you. 
God, we're sorry. We've only messed up our own selves, our own lives, when our focus has not been upon you. So, Lord, I thank you for these weekly gatherings that we have where we can put our focus back on you. I thank you for many who take steps to be involved in community groups and Bible studies who, again, put their focus upon you. But, folks, let me talk to you who um, maybe have never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe today you didn't realize that the things of this world drag you and pull you away. And it's a relationship with Jesus Christ that puts you back into a right relationship with God the Father. And if today, if you are here and you have never prayed to receive Christ into your life, would today you simply ask Jesus, say, Jesus, today I want to take you in as the bread of life. Today I want my dependence, my daily bread to be upon you. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I I now turn and follow you in a way like I have never done before. Jesus, would you come into my life? I give you every worry and concern I have. Scripture says, if even one did that here today, there are angels dancing and rejoicing in heaven. God, thank you for your incredible truths that you've taught us today. If today, perhaps, you have made that decision for the first time, I'd be honored if you come talk to me afterwards, Pastor Stephen, anyone up here on stage. We'd love to point you in the right direction of how to get to grow in relationship with Christ. We also have a Next Step Center in the middle of our Welcome Center. You can ask any of them. They have some information for you. Or perhaps you want to talk to the friend who brought you here today. We just want you to be in that relationship with God and know what your next step is. For some of you, maybe it's being a part of our membership here at First Baptist. It's saying, this is my home. This is my family. I want to count on others as others count on me. Whatever that next step is, I pray you would take it. And that your eyes will be focused on the Lord. Not upon the worries of this world, but upon Him. God, even now as we worship you, may our eyes be upon you. As the things of this world pass, and things of eternal world come to mind. For it's in the name of Jesus that we focus on you now and worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.